Hey. Hi. Welcome to From Skirts to Scrubs. I'm Alicia. And I'm Charlotte. And we are two medical students trying to figure out our place in medicine by looking to the past and to current events to try and understand the impact they have on us as women in medicine and as women in general. Yeah, and you can find or follow us on social media. We have an Instagram and a Facebook, which are at from Scrubs. Scrubs. We have a Twitter, which is at FSTS underscore podcast. And you can check out our website for more information on our episode, show notes, sources, and more at FromScrubsToScrubs.com. Yep. And you can also subscribe to our podcast and leave us a rating and review. And Apple Podcasts is the best place for that, but you can also do it on Spotify as well. So yes, we have arrived the end of season three, Ooh. Charlotte. Isn't that crazy? That is wild. I know. I feel like season three has been so long. Season three has been really long I was looking back at our first episodes and they were so long ago we started this season 11 months ago for real yeah we were talking about witches and the origins of internal Uh, medicine yes oh my god that was so long ago I know I was literally at the beginning of my clerkship year at that point that's crazy to think now you're done I'm done yeah and you're like halfway through I am I know. Seven months in. Yeah, we I'm on my eighth eighth month, actually. That's that's very far. And we also had our first mini series tucked in there. So we told stories about women as monsters, mythology, like Yaba Uma and Pandora and Lilith. And then I know it was fun. And then we kind of circled back at the second half of the season. And we talked about the wandering womb and abortion pills and incarcerated women's health. And yeah, mm-hmm. all of that has culminated to arriving here at the end of our third yeah. season. And oh gosh, I know. And we are going to be talking about something that we've been wanting to talk about for a very, very long time. And that is the history yeah. of women and their experiences with pain. Mm-hmm. And this topic is really broad, of course. And like many of our episodes, it can't be explained or unraveled in just one sitting. But I wanted to give us a framework to start with as I move through this episode because its history is kind of complex, not well documented, and just has like a lot of moving parts that don't really come together well. So to give you just a quick overview, I'm going to start out by giving just a brief history with some examples of how women's diseases and pain have been approached and treated. And some of them are actually really familiar to us. So we're not, you know, plucking at straws here. And then Mm -hmm. specifically, a lot of this history talks about like menstrual pain and the pain associated with childbirth. But of course, we know that that's not all of the pain that women experience. And that's just something I wanted us to keep in mind as we're like thinking back. But of course, we know that that's just what the history focuses on. And that's what we have documentation of. But we will try to transition from the history portion into discussing what women are facing today, their pain and giving them giving black women and women of color a specific, you know, time to discuss their situation because it's important especially in this context. And I wanted to do that. So that's kind of the outline of the episode. But Charlotte, I, of course, want to start by asking you what comes to mind when you think about women and pain. I always think of like people not believing women or saying that like not believing their pain kind of thing. 
um, like the whole idea that women aren't listened to and that doctors kind of like dismiss women, like has to do a lot with their pain. And like, like we talked about in the wandering womb, womb episode about how menstrual pain is kind of like brushed off as pain that women should experience kind of thing. And that, um, is reason for disease or whatever. So that's kind of what I always think about. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's also like what comes to mind when I think about pain and honestly is like a big part of the history. So we might as well just get into it. All right, let's do it. I have chronic pancreatitis, which is the absolute worst pain I have ever experienced in my life. Worse than childbirth, worse than the gallbladder removal. I later came to understand that your pancreas is basically digesting itself, and that's why it hurts so bad. My doctor told me that the pain was a stomach bug and sent me home. After a friend found me unconscious, laying in a pile of my own vomit and diarrhea, an ambulance took me to the ER where I waited for hours to be seen. Apparently, they also thought I just had the bug that was going around. Later, I found out that I was lucky to have stayed alive that my body had gone into shock and other organs, my liver for one, were beginning to show signs of disease. I've had pancreatitis four times in three years, and the ER is pretty much the same every time. I've had doctors suggest that my pain is just stress, and one asked, do you have a strong man at home that can give you a massage? He said all I needed was a bubble bath and a good rub down. I hate having to go to a doctor's appointment I'm always filled with shame and anxiety for two to three days after. Hmm. That was an excerpt from a story published in The Atlantic by a woman as a part of this reader series that they did where women were recounting stories of medical pain that they had experienced. And that was one that I had read that I thought was particularly powerful. She also discussed like in that same story some experiences that she had with childbirth and then also with like having her gallbladder removed but having chronic mm -hmm. pancreatitis and having that same response every single time I thought was a good example of kind of women's pain and the crux of this whole episode yeah for sure yeah and stories like this come up a lot they've been coming up a lot more recently as well I feel like in the news and even just like among family and friends I hear things like this but what is pain? Well, medically speaking, pain is a signal in your nervous system that something might be wrong. So you might have internal damage, something stops working, and your body's letting you know that. This is a defining aspect of being human. And we've all experienced pain at some point in our lives. We felt it, whether it was physical pain, emotional discomfort, whatever you want to say. And they can all theoretically go under the umbrella of pain. But the concept of the gender pain gap is very real, but not very well publicized, um, especially compared to other kind of gender gaps, like the gender wage gap, for example. I feel like we talk about it a lot, but mm -hmm. the gender pain gap less so. And this term was coined in 2001 in a landmark study. And the idea is that women in pain are taken and treated less seriously than men in pain. And this applies especially to women of color, particularly Black women. Mm -hmm. And for so much of history, pain has been labeled as like this intrinsic part of womanhood. It's like 
you know, you have children, you deal with the pain because that's like part of being a woman and part of your duties as a woman, especially your reproductive duties. And society, government, religion, and education have, of course, played a very large part in this. And this is like evidence through these examples that I'm going to give from like different portions of history. So in 2100 to 1900 BCE, the Egyptian um, Cahoon gynecologic papyrus was basically this outline of all things related to the uterus. It was like a gynecological Mm -hmm. textbook, essentially. And it was where the first cases of dysmenorrhea were noted. But the pain associated with menstruation was, even at that time, labeled as psychosomatic, meaning, for lack of a better phrase, like, it's all in your head. And obviously, they didn't say, like, psychosomatic, but that was the general gist that kind of came through, was that it wasn't necessarily real or as bad as it was being described. Women's pain has also just generally been difficult to describe and really talk about because all of our understanding historically of women's bodies has been rooted in false beliefs at baseline. So for example, Mm. two that we know very well are hysteria and the wandering womb. In ancient Greece, Hippocrates popularized the idea of the wandering womb, which, to remind you all, is the belief that diseases that women had were caused by her uterus dislodging itself and traveling wherever in the body the pain or disease, like, was, and it was causing this, like, issue that the womb would wander and cause pain or disease. Another quick reminder is that the basic idea of hysteria is rooted in the wandering room where if women weren't having kids, they would be sick because your body is meant to be pregnant. And if you weren't pregnant, then your uterus wasn't being used for what it was supposed to be. It wasn't tethered down. And so it would travel and ultimately like cause hysteria and other diseases and other issues. And these ideas of women and their bodies were obviously completely untrue. And I'm not shaming the people at the time for believing what they believed. Obviously, truth is socially constructed, and they did the best that they cared to do at the time. You know, they tried to create an explanation for something, and they did so to the best of their desired ability. But yeah. They also had no idea what they were talking about, and yet they spoke about women's pain and bodies without considering a woman's perspective on it. In 1405, a woman named Christine de Pizan tried to reclaim some of this narrative. She tried to speak, you know, for herself, for women, about women. She was the only woman in France earning a living as a professional writer at the time, and she wrote a book called the Book of the City of Ladies, which was a utopian novel, which is giving me like very divergent energy or like the Hunger Games. But instead it was the Book of the City of Ladies. And it was this utopian novel celebrating women as artists, women's bodies, just like this idea of like a city of ladies and like having women run a whole city. Mm -hmm. Apparently some anonymous dude wrote a response book called secrets of women 
which literally talked about women's infirmities, which was essentially a euphemism for menstruation and how apparently menstruation could, quote, turn their already weak and defective bodies and minds poisonous and monstrous. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. Man's petty. Dude, I know. I was like, that is so aggressive. Like this man literally said a menstruating woman could become so deceitful and vindictive that she could conspire to mortally wound men's penises. <laughs> mortally wound. Yes, yes. He truly okay. was a okay. medieval misogynist. And this is just an wow. example of outright medical racism and, you know, the emphasis on the womb and the uterus as causes of disease. And as women tried to speak up for themselves about their own bodies being shut down. So I thought that was just like very tangible example of pushback. Um, that women experienced at that time in the yeah. rise of all of these beliefs and, you know, very set ways of thinking that woman's body worked in X, Y, Z way. And as we continue along, we are reminded of other timeless favorites of treating women's diseases like the rest cure, the idea that mm. to cure the hysteria affecting women's bodies and minds that made them sick they needed to be bed bound for months. Never forget the beef on the string. The beef is a weird, weird time. But mm -hmm. um, another term that I didn't know existed, but apparently was a thing in the 1800s was called overitis. I guess this was a term created oh, by no. this English gynecologist named Edward Tilt, who said that in middle and upper class women who excited their ovaries with horse riding, reading, listening to music, and too much physical exercise while menstruating, they were at greater risk of hysteria. And so they had overitis. I was like, I've so never heard of that. Your ovaries are inflamed? <laughs> your ovaries are inflamed because you read a book. Don't read. Okay, don't read. Don't ride horses. No. Don't have any of those anyway. Do not listen to music. Not allowed. <laughs> no music. And Listen to music every second I can. Oh, I know. I know. But mm. you might be thinking, okay, Alicia, what does all of this have to do with women's pain? This is kind of like a little bit everywhere. And I warned you that yeah, it would be. I know, <laughs> I know, I know. But everything I've described so far has actually been painting this picture of women not being made to endure pain because you know, they need to rest. They need to relax. Their bodies can't handle these things. And so mm -hmm. it almost is like the opposite of what I'm of the argument of this whole episode of like, oh, you know, they are overdoing it with women's pain. They're saying women aren't capable of experiencing pain. And that's true. Yeah. All of this is true for that time. But the reason that I'm reminding us of concepts like hysteria and the wandering womb and the rest cure is because they're all rooted in women not being believed when it came to their own bodies. And that's the through mm -hmm. line that's continued over time, like you said at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. In the 1800s, medicine actually became really objective at that time. Like they were really emphasizing these objective measures of symptoms. 
And so, of course, that became a huge problem because pain can't be seen, it can't be measured, it can't be quantified objectively. And the subjectiveness of the primarily male doctors at the time, especially when it came to gynecological pain, led so many women to be undertreated. Only Mm. the people actually suffering the pain had a real understanding of what that meant and how terrible it was. But of course, none of those people were doctors at the time. Right. And the contradiction in all of this is that up until this point, like I was saying, women have been babied when they were sick. They were labeled as meek and incapable of functioning because they were mentally weak. And so they needed to rest. But in a 1932 survey published by the Journal of Social Psychology, it was found that 70% of physicians and dentists believed that women were superior to men in withstanding pain. Even at, and yeah, and it's so weird. And even at the end of the 1980s, a British study commissioned by this like random drug company that made some painkiller found that 75% of people agreed that women were actually better able to tolerate pain than men. And interestingly, the generalization was held like this thought was held to be correct by 86% of women compared to only 64% of men. So it was like okay. a like an internalized like women are able to withstand pain which right. is true and yet is is like the inherent contradiction of kind of what we're talking about. It's it's very interesting. It's a good example of what we're talking about where at some point there was a shift from women especially white women being seen as meek and weak and needing bed rest to now in so many cases like women are seen as like stronger and able to withstand more pain but it's more pain that they're e- than they are even able to so we've like swung the pendulum in the opposite direction like right. yes women have survived childbirth for thousands of years but also so many women died from childbirth just because women could withstand the pain or were mentally tough, or whatever it was, that doesn't mean that they should be all the time. And Yeah, for sure. And for Black women, notably, the false beliefs that they have a biologically higher pain tolerance than white women are extremely, extremely harmful. Do you by chance know the historical roots of this, Charlotte? Like, do you know kind of what people have thought about this and, like, why? This is a thing. It's like rooted in slavery, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people, isn't there like the idea that like black individuals have like different skin, so they withstand pain differently? I know that's like one thing I've heard mm-hmm. in the past, which isn't true, obviously, yeah. but that's what I've heard. Yeah. So that's like one part of kind of the bigger picture, but that's totally it. It's this idea that like black folks in general were believed to not feel pain like physical pain as much but it's not it's because of like some physical aspects like yes they have thicker skin so they can withstand like taking lashes um or they don't need shoes or they don't like you need xyz because their bodies can withstand more but the biggest thing about it is actually that white people believed that their brains weren't capable of feeling such intense pain 
Like their, their nervous systems, like we're literally not made to understand that pain. And, um, there's an author of this like book called pain and sympathy. It's a book from 1907. I don't even know the name of the author, but he concluded when attempting to explain quote, why the savage could bear physical torture without shrinking. He said, Mm -hmm. quote, the higher the life, the keener is the sense of pain. So it's this idea that like the more advanced you are mentally, the more pain you are sensitive to. And so it's basically saying that like black folks are inferior because they don't have that heightened sense of like development and brain development. Wow. Yeah, I know. And now that's manifesting as like, Black folks and Black women especially attempting to communicate pain during interactions with care providers. And that is like that ends up being met with doubt often or misbelief that Mm -hmm. their pain is caused by emotional factors rather than biological ones. And and this also manifests as Black women being given fewer opioid medications, NSAIDs and other pain meds. In a manifest as increased time to receive care. And so even death from lack of care has like occurred. And the example that I first thought of that, I don't know if you're familiar with this example, um, Shar, but Dr. Susan Moore, who was a black woman who died in 2020 during the peak of the COVID pandemic because her pain was downplayed literally to the point where the care team was like, oh, you should go home. You don't need to be in the hospital. Ooh. And she's a medical, mm-hmm. she was a medical doctor. She went to the University of Michigan Medical School. Oh, I have heard of her actually. Yeah. yeah. And she, so she knew the terminology to use. She knew how to characterize her pain. She knew how to describe what she was feeling in like a medical sense. So the mm-hmm. argument of like, oh, the lack of, you know, health literacy or lack of education would, couldn't be used in this scenario to to say that there was some kind of miscommunication of, you know, what she was feeling because she knew how to say all of this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The other example that many of us know about is Serena Williams, the tennis star who had a postpartum clot in her lungs. She had a pulmonary embolism and she was in Mm -hmm. so much pain and she was not listened to at all. And she almost died because of it. And she and this kind of shows truly the systemic reaches of this issue too it it defies publicity and ses and all of these other factors like education level etc and mm-hmm. it's truly a matter of race and racism yeah 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 and the intersection of black women's terrible identities their oppressed identities places them in this really, really dangerous position when it comes to their pain and just their health overall. And it's not something that we can like shirk away from or shy away from and like talking about it. I think it's been coming up more, which is good, but I don't think it comes up enough. Women overall also experience really high rates of chronic pain. Um, A 2009 study says that 70% of chronic pain is experienced by women. That same study published in the Journal of Pain 
um, conclusively found that the most common types of pain are more prevalent in women, including post-operative and procedural pain, musculoskeletal and mouth and facial pain, fibromyalgia, migraine, and abdominal and pelvic pain. So that's like literally all the kinds of pain there are, are more often felt by women. A 2012 study conducted at Stanford revealed that women also experience pain more acutely and more intensely than men, especially women of color. And then this study from Yale in 2019 actually found that adults take girls' pain less seriously than they take boys' pain. So in this study, a five-year-old got a finger stick at a doctor's visit. And adults would like watch the video showing the pain of the same child who was identified as male in one showing and female in another showing. And viewers believed that the male child experienced more pain than the female child. It also doesn't even make sense. I know. I don't know. I mean, all of this. Yeah, all of this like really shows. It just shows how aspects of the gender pain gap are so pervasive and like especially this example shows how they're taught at a really young age because young girls are often taught to ignore or minimize their pain because they're like too sensitive or too dramatic or whatever and so women grow up to ignore their pain or cope with it and especially if their pain is then you know dismissed by doctors they even start to doubt whether that pain that they're experiencing is real like they are like being gaslit essentially. And then over time, they start to believe that their pain isn't important. So instead of trying to, you know, seek out diagnoses and answers to like aches and pains that come up, they just live with it and cope with it. And like issues also continue to get worse at that, like at that rate. Yeah. So why do doctors and other medical professionals understand men's pain more than women's pain? Well, like, you would think it's this like really complex thing, but it's really just because like most research studies were done on men. <laughs> so yep, since forever. Yeah, exactly. Research is um, done on male rats, not female rats too. I know, like I know. I know, even the basic science aspects of it. And it's really interesting because I think now, even in the basic science world, a lot of the studies have moved towards like having both male and female rats, but it's, like specifically in the context of gender differences. So now a lot of research has popped up of like gender differences in X, like gender differences in addiction medicine, gender differences in this. And so they're taking like all the data that they had and they're like comparing now, like literally rats (laughs) that are male and female. Yep. Yeah. Diseases that primarily affect women are also not really explored that much there's not as much research in them and there's less treatment for their diseases than for diseases that primarily affect men so for example Mm -hmm. i mean can you think of any examples char i feel like there's like a lot that come to mind i would say like fibromyalgia is yeah like a big one i feel like like no one really knows what's going on and pretty much (laughs) like any time like i like I've seen a lot of patients where like they come in with pain complaints and the like resident's first question is like, do they have depression? It might be fibromyalgia. And I'm like, what? Like you didn't even like talk to them yet and figure out what it is. Yeah. Like, 
They just, I don't know. It feels like hey. a catch-all for chronic pain. Yeah. But no one actually knows what's going on. I know. So one. one that also, like, I was thinking about today um, is irritable bowel syndrome, like IBS. And mm-hmm. I know that it's not as much. I mean, it, it can be, like, crampy abdominal pain. But then also there's, like, actual symptoms that are associated with it. And I feel like people just don't when people come in with IBS, like everyone is kind of annoyed that they're there. Um, and it's like mostly, you know, women between 30 and 50 who are coming in. So of course they're like the least likely to be believed. Mm -hmm. And then there's other diseases that I was also thinking about, like a lot of rheumatological diseases like lupus and like rheumatoid arthritis. And then other Mm -hmm. chronic pain syndromes like endometriosis. And then also fibromyalgia, like yeah, you said. Oh, for sure, endometriosis. Uh-huh, yeah. And and then what's crazy is that for long-term pain control, women are more likely to be given sedatives for their pain, whereas, like, men are more likely to be given analgesics or painkillers, like NSAIDs, like things that actually target pain receptors. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. wonder why sedatives. Yeah, I think it's... It ties into, I think, what you were saying about, like, oh, is she depressed? Like, does she have XYZ going on? I think it's more of a neuromodulatory kind of approach of, like, oh, let's fix the central nervous system aspect of it rather than, like, the inflammatory aspect of it, which ties into this whole idea of, like, is it in your head kind of thing. Right, right. So trying to get at the root of kind of how we got here and why women's pain is still downplayed. I mean, I think the answer is really just that from the beginning of history, we haven't believed women. It all comes down to that. And yeah, why is that? Is it because we're too emotional? Because we're seen as strong and therefore we can endure more pain? Or is it because we're held to this really high standard of like morality and ethics and coping and the standards that we're held to are higher than that of men. And so in comparison to this ideal that they have of us where we're quiet and we're not bringing up our pain and we're kind of out of the way, anytime it comes Mm -hmm. up, it's seen as exaggerated because it's going to be more intense than the ideal because at the ideal, there's it's not being brought up. And right. yeah. And so I wanted to end the history portion with this quote from Time Magazine. And it's kind of longer, but I thought it was a good way to kind of sum up everything that we've started to talk about. The pervasive aura of distrust around women's accounts of their pain has been enfolded into medical attitudes over centuries. The historical and hysterical idea that women's excessive emotions have profound influences on their bodies and vice versa is impressed like a photographic negative beneath today's image of the attention-seeking hypochondriac female patient. Prevailing social stereotypes about the way women experience, express, and tolerate pain are not modern phenomena. They've been ingrained across medicine's history. Our contemporary biomedical knowledge is stained with the residue of old stories, fallacies, assumptions, and myths. And that's Hmm. the beginnings of 
pain and women's pain. And it's really, yeah. it was, there's not like one centralized history because it's really just a matter of like a lot of things coming together. But I think yeah. it's a good starting point for a discussion. Yeah, I agree. Alrighty. So Charlotte, tell me, what are your thoughts? How are you feeling? Thoughts. Thoughts on the pain. One, <laughs> I just want to go back to the book that Christine wrote in 1405, the utopian book, and how the secrets of woman book in response was so extreme. Like <laughs> there was so much hate and anger in writing that book. Like this woman was just trying to write a book like having feminist thought at a time when like feminism wasn't exactly a thing yet. Yeah. And people were so offended by it. Like, oh like yeah. They were being personally attacked, even though it had nothing to do with men. It was literally a society of women. Why would you feel personally attacked by that? So that's just interesting that this book was so obviously extreme and like full of hatred and being petty. That says a lot because it, you still see that today with people towards people they don't like towards people's political opinions like everything so extreme people's responses to stuff is very extreme true it's not apparently nothing's changed in the last 600 years it's all the facebook trolls this is like that version of a facebook troll in the comments yes literally but the man went through the whole effort of writing an entire book and getting it published (laughs) yeah like he like hit it really hit him somewhere in the core which is just wild and then the other thing i thought was interesting was the study the uh, yeah study from the 80s where like 75 percent of women or 75 percent of people thought that women had a better pain tolerance than men and then it's interesting that like 86 percent of women agree with that yeah it's just like i feel like when you speak to women about pain or you see pain talked about on social media, like a lot of times women do say they have better pain tolerance than men. You know, like you see, t- you see totally, yeah. like me having a cold and it's like running around the house, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like my boyfriend having a cold and they're like dying on the couch. No, that's like, so real. Isn't it called, like what's, what's that called again? It's called like man, man, like a man cold or like a man sick or whatever. I don't know. Oh my God. That's they're so, so and, like weak. <laughs> like it's hilarious. <laughs> like just so dramatic and um so it's just funny because i just thought of that and um so i can see like why people respond to that study the way that they did i guess because just like how they perceive their own pain and then their experiences with their like other like other genders in their lives and how they experience pain too yeah yeah i don't know i think i agree and i think that study i think it adds to this narrative of like okay if women can withstand pain then if they say that something hurts, it probably really hurts. But yeah, you would think you would you think would that think that's that the way the that people think about it. That is not that process. is not the reality of thought. Yeah, no, no. Um, And then I think the other something I was thinking about as I was writing this episode was just that this episode is just such a good example of like why we started this podcast, because I think to understand why we treat women's pain the way we do now you have to understand the historical context like 
it to ask the question like, oh, why do we do that? Like, why do doctors not believe women? It's like, well, actually, if you look at the history, they've like never believed mm-hmm. women. And it's really yeah. just a matter of us perpetuating these cycles of these historically false beliefs and then just applying them to our lives now because obviously no like we don't believe in the rest cure we like don't necessarily believe in like outright hysteria or the wandering womb but these concepts they've still impacted the way that we understand medicine now and i think only recently has like the field of medicine even tried to have a reckoning about this So I I was just like really struck by that because I know that like in the history, I didn't necessarily find or share that much new information. But what I was really touched by was how much everything that we've talked about in the past kind of came up again and it's Mm -hmm. still impacting us. Yeah. I mean, just like even with pain specifically, like people can say like, oh, there's all these studies done on whatever, like for anything, like studies that are that have results that are biased towards women because the research that was done was biased and they weren't using inclusive subjects like all of that you have to look back into history to see those things and think like why didn't they include those like the correct subjects or why were the researchers biased in the first place yeah. and like all of those things affect research in the past and past research often affects research now so it's just important to look back to history. And there's a good book called, I'm looking at that in my bookshelf right now, it's called Doing Harm. But the whole book's about like gender differences in research and how like research has like wronged women. And yeah, interesting. The other thought that I had that I just really wanted to mention quickly is part of the reason why I wanted to do this episode so badly is because of an experience I had on family medicine literally like seven months ago. And Mm -hmm. I wrote it down in like a frenzy in our shared note document. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'll just read it. I'll just read it out loud. So I had written six months ago, seven months ago. I had a doctor leading a small group who was like, my pet peeve is when patients say they have 10 out of 10 pain. 10 out of 10 pain should be so bad you feel like you're lit on fire. If your vitals are normal and you're sitting on your cell phone, you don't have 10 out of 10 pain. And I just remember being so pissed that he said that because I was like, dude, pain is subjective. There's no way to quantify Mm -hmm. it. So you adding these objective measures to pain is literally ridiculous. Like if the worst pain that I've ever experienced in my life doesn't cause my vitals to decompensate, that doesn't mean that I'm not experiencing 10 out of 10 pain. Like that might just mean that I- how you perceive it. yeah, Yeah, like I maybe have not, had such an intense experience of pain that I like have elevated blood pressure and my heart rate shot up. But that doesn't mean that like the pain that I'm experiencing isn't real. And it still feels really crappy for me. And then it just made me also upset because he's a primary care doctor. And I was like, crap, no wonder people are upset with healthcare. Like this guy is like, oh, if you have 10 out of 10 pain, but you're not on fire, then your pain's not real. And I'm like, what the heck? So anyway. I wanted to share that because I've been holding on to it for many months. <laughs> I I know I've seen it in our notes. <laughs> um, but Shar, my second question for you is just kind of like, what's been your experience with pain? How would you describe your pain tolerance? And then what specifically about how we socially construct pain makes you describe your pain tolerance as you do? 
this is hard because I feel like I've never like physically experienced great pain. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like I've never had anything happen to me that would be painful. Never broken anything. I've never really been like horribly injured that I can like think of. But I would say my tolerance to being like ill, like maybe not like direct pain, but like like being uncomfortable changes, I guess. Like I feel like I don't like being uncomfortable. Like if I'm sick and I like try to work through it and I like don't really take days off and stuff. But I also think if you're talking about societal part, like people just push through like how they're feeling to move on with life instead of like reflecting on maybe taking a break. But I'll also say that based on my own medical experiences in the last year, I feel like I have a higher tolerance now to being uncomfortable. Like I lived many months having chest tightness and discomfort that was attributing to asthma, but I didn't know and I didn't have any treatment and I was just uncomfortable every single day for like six months, being like someone was like squeezing my lungs. It was very uncomfortable and I just like learned to live with it. But at the same time, I had like, physicians tell me oh you're probably just anxious like it's fine mm. you just you like you can live with it type of stuff so I'd be like okay I can live with it like I'll just deal with that kind of thing but now like so I feel like my tolerance is really good then but now that I am treated and don't experience that when I do experience it I'm like this is awful like I can't believe I lived like this for so long yeah um so I feel like it like fluctuates depending on your situation that you're in if that makes sense Um, but I definitely think the societal part of like people telling you how you should be feeling about whatever way your body is working right then is um I felt that a lot like when I was trying to figure out what was wrong with me if that makes sense yeah and it's like subject to change and that's like the whole thing is that pain is relative and Mm -hmm. it sounds like you know, when you were experiencing your persistent asthma every day and you got used to it, you were like, okay, this sucks, but like I'm dealing with it. Then when it went away and came back, you were like, holy cow, like this is terrible. Um, Yeah. And I think that's like an important aspect of pain that we don't remind ourselves of enough is that like we can feel the same pain twice and it can be more painful the first or second or third or whatever time. Yeah, it's different every time. Your experiences aren't always the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I guess like to kind of end the episode when we're thinking about, you know, a feminist approach and feminist theory, if you're supposed to observe the problem or see it as a problem, see it for what it is, think about who's missing, whose voices are missing, how is like their lack of voice making it harder for us to understand the issue as like what it is. That's kind of what I feel like the episode tried to do is like break down all of those things. But the second thing that we also try to do at the end of our episodes that we also don't necessarily always like remind ourselves of that it's like a feminist theory is to go beyond observing the issue and actually asking ourselves what action are we going to take on this and like as people with power Mm -hmm. what are we going to do going forward so my question for you is what are two tangible things that you are going to do from here to better check yourself when you're addressing women's pain. Okay. So I thought about this a lot and I would say the first thing, like if I'm just going to imagine, like if I had an encounter, like a patient came to my clinic and they said they were in X amount of pain, eight out of 10 pain or something, pretty high pain. And 
I is my first time meeting that patient or maybe I've met them forever or whatever, but this is our first conversation about their pain. I would like try to just talk about their pain in whatever way like feels right to them. Like, is this the first time you've experienced this pain? Like, why do you feel like it's eight out of 10 pain? Like, have you ever had pain at this level before? Has your past experiences of pain been lower than this? So that's why you feel like it's at this level. Like, could you see it getting any worse that would make it higher? Like trying to like understand their scale of pain of why they are saying that's like eight out of 10 or something. So like they're kind of starting to explain what their subjective experience is so that like you as a physician can understand it better. And that way, like you can say like my patient before me had eight out of 10 pain. It was a lot different, but now you understand why this one patient in front of you is saying this. And then the second thing would be to remember that moving forward. So the next time the patient comes and they are experiencing pain, you know, their pain, like, Mm. you know, what their scale of their pain is. I think this is important because I have one past experience with my mom who has like chronic health conditions and chronic pain who like had to go to the emergency room or something like that. And she was experiencing a lot of pain. And I remember her doctor asked her like, oh, like, what's your pain? She was like, oh, seven out of 10. And he was like, most people would say 11 out of 10 right now. And like, but I know you and the fact that you're saying seven out of 10, I already know it means it's like probably a lot higher but you just like have a different tolerance for pain because you're chronically in pain Mm. and it's just interesting because he like already knew her pain scale and that some people would be like oh seven out of ten pain maybe it's not that bad but for her to say that meant that okay this pain is really Mm. bad type of thing so just like having the past experience of knowing your patient's pain scales which you can only really truly understand if you just like actually talk to them about it so I guess my two tangible things would be like actually talking to the patient, understanding their scale, and then putting the responsibility on yourself as a provider to remember that. Put it in your note, like write about the conversation. So when you look back, you remember. So when you see the patient again and they're having pain complaints, then you can actually understand where this falls in comparison to the last time. Then once again, have that same candid conversation to like readjust the scale as needed. Mm. I like that. That actually is similar to like what I was kind of thinking or like the two things that I'm hoping to do because the first is like to use similar vocabulary to communicate mm-hmm. pain so it's like using the patient's words and like the way that they're describing their pain using that when you're trying to understand it and document it and stuff like using similar vocabulary to understand their needs and like responses and just like being on the same page about their pain and then yeah. the second thing is just like kind of simpler but it's like also just emphasizing that their experience of reality is real because that's Mm -hmm. like their experience with it but something that you brought up honestly made me think about like a systemic thing that would maybe be helpful would be like in a patient's chart if there was like a place to kind of be like or maybe this already exists I don't know but to be like pain seven out of ten and then like describe the problem and then yeah. have it be this like running list of like, okay, this person's broken leg was like an eight out of 10 pain, but their gallstone pancreatitis is a 10 out of 10 pain, you know, or just like little things like having a list to get a better sense of what their scale is could yeah. be beneficial. Cause like what you were saying about documenting it in a note, I agree would be super helpful, but I don't know if 
there's a way I would have to like look back in the notes to like look at pain scales to even see if they've come in with previous issues where that scale has been documented. Because that's the other thing is like we're trying to turn something that's subjective into an objective measure, which is fine if it applies for only that person because that person's scale like theoretically shouldn't change, but it also could change. And that's the other Mm -hmm. thing that's hard about it is that like all of this is subjective to change. So the two tangible things I'm going to do are to try to use the patient's language when describing their pain and like use that in my understanding of their pain. And the second is to always emphasize to the patient that their experience of their pain is real Mm -hmm. just right out the bat. And then the other thing that's interesting about this episode is that like we identify as women, but we also are subjects of the American healthcare system. And your example of like your asthma is like a good example of that is like, you're a medical Mm -hmm. student, but you also had this experience and it like went on for months and you didn't really have any answers for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so we're in a space where both of those things are true for us. And as much as it sucks, and I like want to say like, you know, the system needs to change and blah, blah, blah. I also think that we have to give it like, we also have to meet ourselves where we're at and meet the system where it's at. And so things that women can do to like work within the system are to have a really good understanding of your history and your meds. So coming in Mm -hmm. and being like, these are all of my diagnoses. These are all the medications I take for those diagnoses. These are, this is the dosing, blah, blah, blah. Knowing when you got your diagnoses and also like what tests support that because like you want people to believe you, but sometimes you need to show them the blood work or show them the imaging and then bringing that yeah, stuff you need the evidence yeah like bringing that evidence. stuff to yeah. your appointment can really help change a doctor's mind if they are being crappy and like not believing you oh for sure yeah so those are just some things but but yeah that's the end of this episode um if you liked that and you and season, I know the end of the season. If you liked this episode, this season more, you can check out all of our other seasons and you can subscribe to our podcast on all the podcasting apps. We're available on literally all of them. And then you can also leave us a rating mm-hmm. and review and Apple podcast is the best place for that. Yeah. You can also give us a follow on social media and you can also check out our website for more information, show notes, merch, all that stuff which is at scrubs.com. And lastly, here is to the women who have fought for us to be where we are today. And may we do the same for those who come after us. We love you all so, so much. See everyone next time. See ya. See ya.